Yes, Lord, we exalt you. You say when you are exalted, you would draw all people to you. So, Lord, as, a, as people of Christ, as followers of Christ, we exalt you. We, we praise you. We magnify you with our hearts, with our lives. We want the world to see, the world to know, the people around us to believe and to put their faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the one who has saved our souls, the one who has delivered us, the one who has broken bondages in our life, the one who has destroyed strongholds in our life, the one who has reached down from heaven and healed us and has helped us. We exalt you, O God. We put you far above all things because that is who you are. That is where you are. You are highly exalted. And you, your name, Jesus, is the highest name. The highest name above every other name. The name of Jesus. And we choose today willingly to confess and to profess the name of Christ in our life. Jesus, be great in our own homes today. Be great in our lives this week. As we get into your word now, we say and ask, give us a tender heart. Give us listening ears to hear and to receive what you have to say to us. We thank you now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Right where you're at, I appreciate everyone's amens and Appreciate our worship team and those who are serving and helping today. We've got a good church. I hope, I hope everyone knows that, can feel that, and can appreciate that. We've got a great church because I'm thankful this church isn't, isn't me. This church is all of us together. And I'm thankful to be a part of such a loving body of believers, family of faith, and Listen, let's transition. Let's get into the Word today. You ready for the Word of God? I am. I'm ready to deliver the Word to you today. We're going to be in two places, mainly in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 3, and then in the New Testament, John chapter 15. Genesis 3 and John 15. As you uh, prepare to turn there and get there in your apps or your Bibles, um, again, I just want to reiterate about our reopening plans that um, we, are, we are closer to reopening than we have been before, and it's going to happen real soon. And again, I appreciate those who filled out the survey. That helped us out, gave us a lot of insight into some things that we were talking about and praying about as, as leadership, uh, looking ahead. And so we're going to have some details about reopening real soon, uh, so please stay tuned to that and uh, continue to exercise patience with us as, as we finalize those plans and prepare to lay those out before you in the, in the coming week or so, okay? So be on the lookout for all of those things. All right, listen, you should be in Genesis. Uh, I, I want to start with a, with a quote by uh, a, an author and a pastor that I've come to like over the last few years by the name of John Ortberg. He said this, he said, My mind may be obsessed with idols, my will may be enslaved to habits, and my body may be consumed with appetites, but my soul will never find rest until it rests in God. How about that? 
He also went on to write a, uh, in one of his books called Soul Keeping about a, a man by the name of Nicholas Herman. Uh, this was a few centuries ago. Nicholas Herman was an uneducated uh, house servant who came from a very poor family. And he was converted to the Christian faith when he was looking at a tree. Uh, it was wintertime, the trees were, uh, the, and the, the leaves were off the tree, and he began to look at this tree and began to think to himself, the leaves are gone now in the winter, but spring is coming, and those, that tree will produce leaves again. And it produced in him this deep sense of, of God's care and, and power in a person's life. And he thought to himself, if God can do that for a tree, then he can do that for a person. And he gave his life to the Lord and then later became a monk and lived in a monk community. And he was a dishwasher and a cook. All the while privately practicing how to just walk with God. We know him today as Brother Lawrence. Or you might have heard that name, Brother Lawrence. When he died, several of his friends gathered some of his letters together and produced and published a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. It's gone on to be the second highest read book in all of history next to the Bible. All of that from an unknown, uneducated dishwasher who simply learned how to just walk with God. Today I want to talk to you about that subject. In fact, I've titled today's message, Walking with God. Did you know that we were created? God created us to walk with him. We were created to walk with God. Let's look at that in Genesis 3. And I draw your attention down to verse 8. It says, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And then the Lord God called to the Man, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. You go back to the beginning here in the Bible and you realize and you begin to see that in the beginning God created us. He created us in his likeness, blessed us with a purpose, connected with us in relationship, and then shows that he desires to walk through life with us. In the Old Testament, it's filled with stories of all kinds of different people who walked with God and God walked with them and how God walked with them not only in those sweet, savory places of life, but also in those spoiled, stained parts of life as well because life has all of that working in it. For, for example, the Bible said about Enoch that Enoch walked steadily with God, and then he was not. And Noah, it said Noah walked in close fellowship with God. Abraham, it said that he walked with God to an unknown land and became the father of many nations. Jacob, it was said that Jacob actually wrestled with God, and that wrestling match changed his walk. Joseph walked with God, through pit, through prison, through palace, all the way to Pharaoh's second in command. Ruth, it was said of Ruth, she walked with God to a strange land and actually became the great-grandmother of King David. 
Walking with God, you see it expressed throughout the Old Testament, and you cross over into the New Covenant, into the New Testament, and we see that the way we walk with God is directly linked and connected in and through Jesus Christ. Jesus gives this example in John chapter 15, verse 4, using the illustration of a vine and branches. And he says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. He said, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We see in the new covenant that the way we are connected to be able to walk with God is in and through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior, the Messiah who came for us, paid the price for our sins on the cross, and then was raised from the dead on the third day. You know, he says, remain in me and you'll be fruitful. You'll be productive. Your life will be significant and have real rich meaning. Goes on to let us know that who and what we live for stems from our walk with God. Our walk with God will determine and define what we live for and who we live for, our aim and our ambition and our dreams, our goals, our desires. And Jesus said, remain in me and your life will be fruitful, productive, meaningful. You know, our soul thrives not on accomplishments and achievements, but simply by just walking and being with God. It's that day-to-day, week-to-week, that long walk of obedience in the same direction. I know for some that can sound kind of boring, going in the same direction your whole life. But when you think about life, life may, you may go in that direction, but life is so, so full of different ter- so many different terrains, so many different adventures. And here's the thing, through all of those adventures and through all of those terrains, God wants us to know that he desires to walk with us through all of life. We have a fast-paced life. We have a slow-paced life. We have distractions, and we have challenges. We have celebrations. We have defeats, and we have triumphs. We have setbacks, and we all love the comebacks. We have pitfalls, and we have peaks, and the list can go on and on and on. And through all of the different terrain of life, God just wants to walk with us. He wants to be with us. He wants us to know him in that way. And today, I want to take the next few minutes of our time, and I want to just leave you with three effects of walking with God. Three effects of walking with God. I've taken this from part of Paul's letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 4, and 5, and we're going to look at a few different parts of that particular letter to the Corinthians, and the different three effects that he lays out of walking with God on a personal level, a private level, and a public level. Let's look at the first one. 2 Corinthians 3, the first one, the effect of walking with God, it makes my life glorious. Makes my life glorious. Verse 10, Paul says, in fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. 
So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever. Paul, in this part of his letter, is showing a comparison of the old covenant, and this translation says the old way with the new covenant, or the new way. And the old way was glorious in and of itself, but it paled in comparison to the glorious part of the new covenant, which is Christ in us. See, the old way, the old covenant, focused on trying to get it right all the time, following the law, dotting the I, crossing the T, trying to get it right all the time, and all it did was produce condemnation. And the new way, in the new covenant, the focus shifts and it becomes on Christ, who actually got it right for us, and Him living in us makes us right with God. The Bible says that, the, that He is the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory in us. And that's how he makes our life glorious. Just saying it in a way, he makes my life glorious, can almost kind of sound selfish in a way. But when you look at what makes your life glorious, it's not us making ourselves glorious. It's Christ in us that makes our life glorious. So walking with God produces a, a glory in us. The word glorious has, has a very very different meaning maybe than what you might think. And in the New Covenant, the word glorious means this. It means to cause the dignity and the worth of a person to become manifest and known. It's to fill a soul with beauty and splendor and wonder and magnificence and greatness to the point that something is different about that person. And it's a pretty big definition, but in general, when God makes our life glorious in Christ Jesus, he's saying, look, I bring out the best in your life. I bring out the best from you. I, I bring out your dignity and your worth, the way I created you, the way I formed you, the way I fashioned you, and the way I blew my breath into your life and brought you to life. I fill your soul with good things, with tenderness and with splendor and beauty and magnificence and, and, and greatness to the point where something is different about you. I wonder, do people say that about me? Can people say that about me? Is There's just something different about him. There's just something different about him. You ever been around someone and they just made you feel better? You had, were maybe in a conversation. Maybe it was a stranger. Maybe it was someone you know or you work with. But you, you were around someone and they, that someone just left you feeling better when you left that interaction. You know, God does that with us. As we learn to walk with him, he makes us better. He makes our life glorious. He brings out the good that he has put inside of us. Things like kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and patience and all of those fruits of the Spirit. Those don't just happen. Those happen as we cultivate them and the cultivation happens in the relationship with God as we learn to just walk with Him. That's how He makes our life glorious. And so God makes our life glorious and it's good for us, but He also makes us the, that kind of person for other people that when we're around other people that hopefully other people can say, man, they make me 
a better person. I love what they're dropping. I love what they're saying. I love what they're putting out with their life because it makes me want to love the Lord more. I hope that can be said about myself, hopefully more than negative things. John the Baptist said this in John 3, in John's gospel. He said, Jesus must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. And Paul to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 10, said that we are God's masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus. So here's the thing. Walking with God changes us. Walking with God brings the best out of us, making our life glorious. One of my favorite quotes from from a writer is C.S. Lewis. He said this. He said, imagine yourself living as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house, and at first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on and so forth. You knew that those jobs needed to be happening, and you weren't surprised. But presently, he starts knocking, about, knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to, you may ask? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in himself. Walking with God will certainly change our life and make it more glorious. Here's another effect of walking with God, privately walking with God. He, he makes, it makes God big in the many moments of my life. There's no doubt life is full of many moments, tons, countless moments. Look at what Paul says in the next chapter, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. He says, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. And he goes on to describe some moments. He says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. All of these different moments of life. To the Christ follower, we have this advantage of committing all of our many moments of life to the Lord. From troubles, to perplexities, to getting knocked down, to getting turned around, to falling and tripping. You name a moment in life. As a believer, we have this advantage if we walk with God to commit all of these moments to the Lord. What does it mean to commit something to God? Here's what the definition is to commit. It means to transfer the burden 
of yours to another account that is stronger and more stable. And for example, my account to God's account. When I commit something to the Lord, I am transferring that thing, that trouble, that moment to God's account. And God's account is able, much more able, stronger and more stable than mine. He can handle what I put into his account. That's committing things to the Lord. Look at a few of these verses here. In, uh, the first one, Psalm 37.5. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Transfer the burden of everything you do to the Lord. Trust Him and He will help you. Proverbs 3. Verse 5 out of the Passion says to trust in the Lord completely. Do not rely on your own opinions. With all your heart, rely on Him. Commit to Him to guide you and He will lead you in every decision you make. Become intimate with Him. Walk with Him in whatever you do. He will lead you wherever you go. Don't think for a moment that you know it all. For wisdom comes when you adore him with undivided devotion and avoid everything that's wrong. Then you will find the healing refreshment your body and spirit long for. And on over in the book of wisdom in Proverbs 16, verse 3 out of the Passion says, Before you do anything, put your trust totally in God. Commit all of that to him. Then every plan you make will succeed, and the Lord works everything together to accomplish His purpose. God helps me. God guides me and leads me. He refreshes me. These scriptures tell us that God works everything together for me to accomplish His purpose. Commit the many moments of life to God. As we walk with God, what it does, it creates space for God to show himself strong to us on our behalf. But we have to yield it. We have to transfer it. We have to roll it over. We have to commit it unto him. I don't know what moment you're in right now. I don't know what moments you're experiencing in life right now. But whatever it is, the good and the not so good, we need to remember, even in the good times, the good moments, lift them to the Lord, commit them to the Lord, and thank Him for that. And even in the not-so-good moments of life, the perplexed times, the troubling times, the despairing times, whatever moment it is, roll it over, transfer that burden over to the Lord, commit it unto Him. And it shows, and it creates this space for God to show Himself strong, on our behalf. You know, there are so many moments in life, and really, the majority of all moments can only be handled by God Himself in our life. He's just waiting for His child, waiting for His children to just say, Hey, Father, here's this moment. This moment I'm in right now is troubling. This moment I'm in right now has got me perplexed. This moment I'm in right now has got me confused. This moment has got me going cray-cray. This moment I'm in right now, Lord, I'm, I'm just going to commit it to you. And God's like, thank you. 
now I can do something with it. Now I can get involved. Now I can in, in, in put myself there and create what I need to create. God has these descriptions about himself that he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful. Why wouldn't we, with a God who is omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent, why wouldn't we give him and commit unto him everything? Why do we insist on still holding on to the moments of ourself in our own way and not letting God get involved to work things out the way he sees fit? I don't know. I don't know why I do that from time to time. I I feel like sometimes I think I know more than him, but in reality, I know deep down that's not true, but yet in my actions... I lack faith and try to control it and make it work. But that's not the way a person walks with God. The way we walk with God is letting God be big in the moments of our life. And he shows himself big when we just commit it to him. It's kind of like this picture in my mind as a we, here we are walking along in life. And God in his hugeness and his vastness and his bigness has his hand in our hand, our hand really in his hand, I should say, and we're walking along in life, and all of a sudden I come up upon a troubled time, and I see it, God sees it, God looks at me, I look at him, I look at the moment, and at that time, I can decide, am I going to try to go through this on my own, or am I going to just say, Lord, you see what we're up against? And he's like, I see it. He's like, what are you going to do about it? I'm like, I'm just going to let you handle it. He's like, cool. I can handle it. And he walks through and he handles it. He just deals with it. But we have to walk with him and commit it to him. Third effect, last one. 2 Corinthians 5. Paul goes on to talk about publicly walking with God, it makes me see others the way God does. Now, we might be cool with the personal and the private thing, but then when it gets to be the public thing, we might have some conviction because it involves other people. But walking with God makes us see others the way God does. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, out of the Passion Translation, says, It is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us because we are absolutely convinced that he has given his life for all of us. This means that all died with him so that those who live, here it is, should no longer live self-absorbed lives, but lives that are poured out for him. The one who died for us and now lives again. So then from now on, we have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people merely by their outward appearances. For, for that's how we once viewed the anointed one, Christ, but no longer do we see him with limited human insight. In verse 18, says, and God made all things new and reconciled us to himself and has given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. Verse 20, we are ambassadors, representatives of the anointed one of Christ who carry the message of Christ to the world. 
as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. So we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf. Turn back to God. Be reconciled to Him. You know, how we see others says a whole lot about ourselves. Here's the thing. If God sees us, views us, and knows us, and still wants us, As Christ followers, we can't evaluate others by an outward appearance. Think about that. Throughout the Bible, there would be everyone would be eliminated if it were all based on the outward appearance. One particular one that stands out to me is when David was approached to become the next king. He was a young, young man tending his father's sheep. He had seven other, other brothers that were older than him. He was the youngest of all of them. And the prophet Samuel came to his house looking for the next king. And he looked at all of these brothers and the Lord said, It's not him, it's not him, it's not him. You've got to quit looking at the outward appearance because I don't look at the outward appearance. I look at what's in the heart. If it were based on outward appearance, David would not have been chosen to be king. And we would not have the lineage and the genealogy that we have and all the other ones who were involved in that process and in that line. David, thankfully, God shows us that he doesn't choose us based on our outward appearance. I mean, come on, I wouldn't have picked me to be a preacher. I wouldn't have picked me to be a pastor. I wouldn't pick me to be any kind of a leader. I just didn't think that was even possible in my life. But thankfully, God sees beyond the outward shell, sees beyond the outward appearance, and looks down into the heart and can see, that's what I put in you. I planted that seed. I put that DNA in you. I put that potential in you. And I look deep into that, and that's what I draw from. That's what I choose from, based on what I have placed on the inside of you. The disciples, man, come on, the disciples wouldn't have been picked. They were some ruddy fishermen up front is who he picked at first. Who picks those guys? No offense to the fishermen. But the disciples, if it were based on outward appearance, they wouldn't have been chosen. A money collector, a tax collector, a thief at heart? Jesus picked all these dudes and Jesus picks us today. I'm thankful that it's not based on outward appearance. And Paul goes on to tell us, he's like, look, because of the love of Christ that has come in our life that fuels us and motivates us, that changes our perspective. That should have an impact on our attitudes, on our thoughts, and on our perceptions of others because God has given us the ministry and the message of reconciliation. What does it mean to reconcile. In the business side of things, it means to bring into agreement the numbers. On the spiritual side of things, it means to bring into agreement and to win one over to Christ. That's the ministry and the message as believers that we have in our life today, is the ministry of bringing people into agreement with the Lord, winning people over to Christ. But listen, that's impossible if we only view people by the outward shell. We see people by color, we see people by stature, we see people by demographic, we see people by this or by that. No, God looks beyond all of that and looks directly into the heart. And as believers, we're called to have that kind of perspective as well, to not evaluate people based on outward appearance. Walking with God changes our view of others. Walking with God changes our attitudes and our thoughts towards other people 
people. <clears throat> Let me ask you this. Those of you that's been walking with the Lord for a while, it'll be 29 years this summer for me. When we first got saved, I remember when I first got saved, I loved everybody. It wasn't anybody in my path that I didn't, didn't love. It just, when Christ came into me, man, I loved everybody. It didn't matter. I loved teachers who didn't like me, teachers who I thought were against me, peers and others that I thought were bullies and this or that. Man, I just loved everybody. And then over time, what happens? What happens? We get cynical, we get critical, we get judgmental because we become self-righteous know-it-alls. And we think, man, I got all this word in me, I go to church all the time, I got the blessings of God on my back, and we start to think better of ourselves than we should. We forget where we've come from. The love of Christ can get dim in our life. But here's the thing, the closeness of walking with God empowers us to see others the way God sees them. And it keeps the love of Christ fresh in our heart. That's why walking with God is not a religious experience, but it is a personal relationship. Because when you take the time to walk with someone, it opens up a conversation, and it opens up perspectives and things about what's around you that perhaps you would not have known or taken the time to talk about or listen to on your own. And we, we walk with God in our life. He begins to change how we see other people. You know, what's going to change marriages? What, what's going to change homes? What's going to change relationships? What will change our neighborhoods, our cities, our churches, our, our communities, and our, our world? What, what, what's going to change that? I think a simple answer is people who call themselves Christians would just simply walk with God. If we would just walk with God and let God have an imprint and an impression and, and a change in our life, that's what will change. That's what changes relationships. That's what changes viewpoints. That's what changes stereotypes. That's what changes judgments. That's what changes actions. That's what changes behaviors. That's what changes thought patterns. That's what changes actions. That's what changes attitudes. That's what changes interactions. That's what changes the view of yourself is walking with God. Especially in a day and time like this when fear is crazy out there walking with God though brings safety security comfort faith strength all the above so why wouldn't we walk with God the God who is so big God who is so powerful but yet is so near and so real and so close to us why wouldn't we walk with him the one who brings the best out of us the one who is strong in our situations. Why wouldn't we walk with the God who, who can help us make a difference in this world the way we were created to? From the very beginning, He created us in His likeness, created us with His purpose, 
and created us with relationship. We were created to make a difference in this world. But we have to walk with him. I want to encourage you today, wherever you might be in your walk with God, maybe you've let go of his hand. Maybe you've gotten a little distant in the walking process. Maybe you feel real tight. You feel real real close to him, wherever you might be today. I, I, I want to just pray with you in closing. And Would you just bow your heads with me right now as we pray? Father God, the social distance has created a space Hopefully it's created a space for us to ponder you, consider you, and look to you. Lord, today there may be some watching who feel like, man, I'm not close to the Lord. Today, if you'll just call on his name and ask the Lord, draw me back to you. I want to know you. I want to feel you. I want your love to be real in my life. He'll do that. Maybe you're freaked out at a moment in life right now and you're like, how, how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to get through this? What's going to happen? How are we going to be this or do that? Whatever it might be, whatever moment. Commit that to the Lord. Tell the Lord right now, I acknowledge this moment right now and I'm not going to face it by myself. I'm not going to do it on my own, Lord. I, I yield it to you. I roll it over to you. And I thank you that you are able. You are strong. You are stable. That you will be big in this moment in my life. Show yourself strong today, Lord, in the lives of your people. And Lord, I know we're going to be around people again. We're called to love people. We're called to serve people. We're called to win people to Christ. So I pray for the first love, the love of Christ that first came into us. Whenever that was, make it fresh again. Make it real again to the point where, Lord, we just love others. We don't judge them. We don't criticize them. We're not cynical of them. We're not belittling to them. But we love them. Love in our heart. Love through our life to other people. And God, let it be said of us, something's different about them. And that difference is our walk with you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.